gentlemen, boys, and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Well, I'm back. I welcome myself back to you. I welcome you back to me. Last week, we're going to talk about that. I just couldn't pull it together. Just couldn't and decided not to. That is the first Thursday that I have not done a podcast since February 27th, right before we shut down through the summer of of uprising and racial reckoning, through this crazy political climate, through, gosh, there's, there's been so much. Every week feels like a month's worth of news. Last week, I, I sat down at my desk. I was all prepared to, to tape an episode, and I just couldn't. I've talked about this before. Like when I just get really like overwhelmed, I'll just like put my forehead down on the desk and deep breathe. And usually that's very calming and I can center myself and, and bring myself back to a place where I can push through. But I just realized like I do a lot of pushing through. I do a lot when I'm really, really tired. And, and last week, everything that's been happening for the last, I don't know, six, seven months, it just all like hit me all at once. The world is crazy right now. I watch CNN almost compulsively. They're talking about canceling Thanksgiving and Christmas. Other countries are shutting down their economies again. There's no vaccine in sight. We're going to be dealing with this well into 2021. The most optimistic date so far is June. And the election stuff, I I just, I'll talk about Barack Obama hitting the campaign trail a little later, but that's as far as I'm going into the politics side of it. Everything is just so crazy. Like if it was a reality show, like I've said a million times, it is the best TV show never written. It would be an amazing reality show as escapism from normal life. But just nonstop crazy, it's just, it's too much. I'm tired. And I've said, like, I'm tired before. And, you know, I hope people know that I meant it. But, like, I'm tired again. And I've been tired for a while. And I've been pushing through to get everything done. And I don't just mean the podcast. And before you make an assumption that it's about a man, this has absolutely nothing to do with romantic partnership. Relationships are very important, no doubt. But there are many other important things in a woman's life that have nothing to do with a man. A couple of weeks ago, I guess at the beginning of September, I did an episode and I mentioned that I was supposed to be returning to L.A. I was in D.C., but in the middle of packing, there was a mishap and I had to change my ticket and I ended up staying in D.C. for an extra 10 days. I didn't go into what that mishap was and I'm not going to because I don't want to, but something really, really bad happened and it was very scary. And it caused me to reevaluate a lot of my life choices. One of them being living on the opposite side of the country from my family. I'm out here living the new dream because this was not the original dream. This was the, my life has fallen apart and I got to figure out how to put it back together. So this is my put it back together dream. And I'm very happy, but that dream comes with a lot of sacrifices. And I come from a family who like, If you're not actively crying or on the floor, then you must be fine. Like my grandmother died and my mom texted me and was like, oh, your grandmother died. That might sound crazy to some other people, but that's actually kind of normal for us. 
Our little unit of three is just not very emotionally expressive. Very rarely does someone ask me if I'm okay. I don't know if it's because I present very strong or I present as like, I have it all figured out. FYI, I don't. FYI, no one does. It's just like the default assumption that like, oh, Demetria is fine. She always figures it out. She, She always figures it out before, so she'll figure it out again. I always have, but it takes a lot to power through to do that. And I'm just tired of being at the power through point. Last week, I was just getting to the point where I recognized I was at a breaking point. I don't like that feeling of just losing control of like myself and my emotions. I go crazy. I I sit very still and scream at the top of my lungs. Like if you saw me, you thought I was losing my mind. But that's kind of what's happening in the moment. There's just a lot. Let's talk about it. Professionally, I've spent the last three years rebuilding my life after I left New York. I feel like I just lost everything and I was like very lost for like a good year and a half, which is pretty normal, especially when you're going through a very ugly divorce. But I feel like overall, like I'm in a good place professionally, like the opportunities are coming, the calls are being answered, the deals are being made. But like, I'm just really, really tired. And it's so weird how I feel like even bad saying that. I deliver this podcast every Thursday for like six months straight. And the week I take off, I just had so much guilt about it. People tell me I'm helping them get through the pandemic. They're like, oh, you're my best friend in my head. This is part of my me time. This is part of my weekly self-care. It's just a lot of pressure. I don't know if other people tell you this. With bigger budgets come bigger demands. With a bigger platform, you get more scrutiny. And as of late, maybe the last two months or so, I've started to notice that like when I say things people don't like, people don't just say, well, I disagree with you and I don't like you. It's you have a really large platform and you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't say that because it might affect your brand opportunities. You should be more responsible. You should be a role model. You shouldn't say negative things about this group of people. You should talk about this. You should mention that. You should use your platform for. This happened years ago with a bell in Brooklyn. And it's part of the reason I stopped doing the blog. It's like you, you do this thing because you want to, in the case of the blog, like I'm a writer who wanted to write. Like I was writing stuff for magazines. I was covering music and entertainment, but I wanted to write about something else. I've been covering music and entertainment so long that when, when I started pitching ideas about dating and relationships, people were like, yeah, no, that's not really your lane. So I started a bell in Brooklyn to, to make it my lane. But I also started that blog because I wanted to fill a void. I didn't really feel like there was a voice that was speaking with me. Like we were in conversation with each other. Over time, it got like really, really big. And just like, it's the same thing. It was like, you should say this, or you should say that, or you should do this, or you're this now, so you have to do this way, and you have to be this way, and you have to dress this way, and speak this way, and you shouldn't say these things, and always being pulled in so many directions. And it's hard sometimes. It's like you use your voice because you want to be heard, and then people hear you, And then want to tell you how to speak. And I guess like the easy solve is like, well, you don't have to do any of it. 
you don't have to do a podcast. You don't have to post online. You don't have to write books or articles or make movies or any of that stuff. And you're right. And if you think that I don't have a conversation with myself probably once a month about shutting it all down and and going to found a desk job, absolutely I do. I will give myself credit for last week to be like, no. I told everybody no last week, like across the board. Demetria, can you? No. Demetria, we want you to? No. Demetria, we need you to? No. I went out with my friend Friday night. We had dinner at the Grove and we just kind of hung out and watched the fountain. But I got home Friday night and I didn't leave my house again until Tuesday morning. I like watch Netflix and flip through magazines and listen to music. And I started watching this random documentary, Enslaved, with Samuel L. Jackson. We'll talk about that later in the episode. But I actually do feel like I did better for myself this time. Not where I want to be, but not like, you know, sitting on the side of the tub screaming at the top of my lungs or sliding down a wall in a courthouse bathroom while trying to like muffle my screams and hold myself together. This is progress. This isn't like throwing up on the plane five times when I moved to LA. This is better. And I booked a vacation. By the time you listen to this, I'll be in Mexico. Also, I've said out loud to 50,000 people like, I need help. And I need somebody to ask me, how are you? Because I'm not always the strong friend. The people who lean on me for support, like shit, sometimes I need to lean on someone too. So that usually would go on the back end of the episode. (laughs) I am not willing today to put myself on the back burner. So (laughs) how do you transition from that? Because what do you say after that? I need help. And by the way, I've been watching this new documentary on epics. You know what? That awkward ass transition is exactly what we're about to do. Life is awkward and so are my transitions today. So I've been watching this documentary on epics. Actually, I started watching it before I came back to L.A. In short, it's well, it's many things. Samuel L. Jackson is on a journey to find his African roots. So he goes back to Africa and he learns about slavery and he learns about his lineage. There's a whole ceremony where he's recognized and inducted into the tribe that he would have hailed from had his ancestors not been stolen or sold and taken to America. That, so that's one part of the story. Another part is going around the world and looking at the impact of slavery. There's one section where they go to Brazil and the guide is explaining to one of the reporters on the show. She was like, yeah, so when slaves would die, not enslaved Africans, but slaves, there's a, there's, technically a difference. So she says, yeah, when slaves would die, they would just take their bodies and like throw them in this heap. And then people in the town would have trash and they would just, you know, throw it in this heap and then more bodies, more trash. And when it started to smell, they would just set everything on fire to like pack it down. And then the process would start over again. Like you were just, you were throwing people into essentially what was a large trash can. So the woman asked, How many people did they throw into this, you know, graveyard slash trash heap that they kept burning down? The woman just casually says, 30,000. What? Another part of the documentary is this black team of deep sea divers. They're going to different bodies of water around the world looking for either sunken slave ships or ships that were used to transport escaped 
Black Americans to freedom. One of the ships that they're trying to find was a ship that ran aground. The ship wasn't sinking, but it was taking on water. And this slave ship had over 600 people in the cargo area. It starts flooding below deck first. They let the people drown, 600 people. There was a hatch where they would bring the enslaved people above for exercise so they wouldn't look terrible and skinny by the time they were supposed to be sold. You got folks working in the field. They need to look strong. That metal hatch, they actually nailed it shut and sat on it while 600 people below deck were fighting for their lives to keep from drowning. And I'm not sure if I'm mixing up stories, but I think they did it for the insurance money. Because enslaved people were property. You insured them kind of like you did a car. The good part of the divers is that they would go down in the ocean and the cameras went with them. It's so beautiful down there. And it was amazing how they could piece together the stories of what happened on this ship or the life of the people on the ship. The people above deck and the people below deck by these artifacts that have survived for 300 years. It was so fascinating. I don't know why this documentary is not getting more coverage. I was scrolling through Instagram and a friend of mine is friends with Samuel L. Jackson and his wife, LaToya. And when the documentary first dropped, she posted an image of the ad and it's very powerful. It's a black fist rising from the ocean and it has a shackle on it. And the title is Enslaved. So I was really intrigued, but it's a fascinating documentary. They have a whole episode about tracing the money. Very often when Americans talk about slavery, we talk about how it built the United States, but it also built London and it also built Portugal and it also built Amsterdam. It also built Brazil. Most of the major European cities that have like long time wealth due to slavery and not just American slavery, but Caribbean slavery and South American slavery. They sent more folks there than they did to the United States. And there's another episode that's strictly about rebellion. I've seen a good number of people say in response to current racism and Karens and and people popping off because Trump is, is putting a battery in their back like they can do anything. And people will be like, try God, not me. I am not my ancestors. And it's so offensive to say that. There's a weird idea, I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, that all your ancestors were just on some turn-the-other-cheek shit. Nah. There's a whole episode that talks about the rebellions of enslaved people, rebellions on board ships, people jumping overboard, people committing mutiny and killing the captain, people escaping. A lot of people rebelled. A lot of people tried and died trying. The idea that like we are not our ancestors, we're not. Because really, if we were... It'd be a lot more Nat Turners, but everybody ain't that. We need to talk about Lovecraft Country. The season one or series finale happened on Sunday. A second season for the show has not been announced yet, even though showrunner and writer Misha Green has openly been saying, like, we want a season two. We have ideas like, you know, HBO, pick us up. But it hasn't been picked up yet, which I hope it is. I got invited to a screening for the finale in L.A. They hosted it at the Paramount Drive-In Theater, and they really, like, went all out. I posted pictures on my Facebook page and in my IG stories. 
You know those billboards of like Aunt Jemima or Uncle Ben? They did a bunch of those as we were in the car waiting to get checked in. They had these guys dressed like gas station attendants. They would come over and wash your windows. It it was really well done. That said, I've loved probably every episode of the show thus far. The finale was okay. I didn't hate it. It just seemed like a little disjointed and there was like a lot going on. Maybe they tried to pack too much into one episode. I don't know. I just didn't love it. But I loved like the other nine episodes, especially the episode with with Hippolyta and I Am and naming herself. I loved that. But the finale was, let's say it wasn't my cup of tea. Actually, I don't think it was a lot of people's cup of tea because usually every episode, like I hear people just like raving and raving about how wonderful it was. And everyone's just kind of like, well, you know, it was interesting. I don't know. The New York Times did a review of the show that was honestly scathing. When I first read it, I didn't see the byline and I had to scroll back up and be like, is this writer black? Because sometimes black people will love something and like a white critic just doesn't get it. White folks hated Harlem Nights. They were like, this is a terrible movie. Eddie Murphy is is killing his career. This is the most awful thing ever. It just wasn't funny. And I was like, really? Whenever black people start arguing about Eddie Murphy's best film, Harlem Nights is always in there. But I was like, oh, a Harlem Nights situation. Black people think it's the greatest thing since dark liquor. And white people are just like, no. But lo and behold, the journalist is black. Maya Phillips. Maya Phillips did not enjoy Lovecraft Country. She is not here for it. Let's see what Maya had to say for the New York Times. Lovecraft Country mostly delivers a muddled narrative with sloppy execution. The series seems to want to upend racial and sexual stereotypes by providing nuanced, complex characters, but more often ends up reinforcing those same stereotypes, serving offensive messages about blackness, queerness, sexuality, and gender in tasteless, gratuitous ways. Ouch. It doesn't take Lovecraft Country long to cross the line between mining the past and exploiting it for the purpose of its convoluted fiction. The series shamelessly name drops events and figures from black history as if crossing off squares on a racial bingo card. She specifically did not like the Emmett Till narrative. Can I tell you that the name dropping of events and figures, that's one of the things I love about the show. I love how the show incorporates real people into the narrative. With Emmett Till especially, I feel like it gave him humanity. Whenever people talk about Emmett Till, they always talk about how a 14-year-old boy was killed in such a terrible, horrible, brutal way. They talk about his mother insisting on an open casket so the world could see the horror that was inflicted upon her son. And people talk about his misshapen, bloated body in that casket. They talk about Jet Magazine publishing the pictures from his funeral. But they never talk about him just as like a kid from Chicago. His 14 years of life are always reduced to how he was murdered. But there's more to his life than that. One of the many things that I appreciated about Lovecraft Country is you got to see him as just a little boy. And I'm just going by the narrative that's presented in the show. But like you got to see him be a kid, somebody who liked comic books and had a best friend. I have no idea whether in life he actually liked comic books or he ever played with a Ouija board. I don't think those details are necessarily important, but I like the idea that, that, that the show gave his life texture. And I feel that way about so many characters that were introduced into the show. 
like all the people that lived in Letty's boarding house. There was a writer and there was a dancer. I loved when Hippolyta was driving down the freeway and she passes the woman on the bike. I had no idea a black woman was like biking all over the country. I was introduced to these historical figures through this show. And for me, that's part of what made it so amazing. I appreciated that as Montrose was standing in that window watching Tulsa burn, that he said the names of real people who were killed in the Tulsa massacre. I didn't know those names. I didn't know those stories. Weaving in real life people to the story brings the people, the ancestors, back to life, which is a huge theme of the show. The writer goes on to compare Lovecraft to another HBO series, Watchmen, which I've seen a lot of people do. I liked Watchmen, but I didn't love it. That was too weird for me. I just watched it because I really like Regina King and, and, and Yaya. You know how I feel about him. I'm not going to go down that road again. I don't knock this writer's opinion. Liking things and disliking things is very subjective. Like, I mean, she's entitled to her opinion not to like a show. But I just think it's really interesting that for many of the reasons she listed for not liking the show, I've talked about this Lovecraft country group that I'm in on Facebook. And I think it's like 13,000 members right now. All of the reasons that this woman did not like the show are all of the things that we fan out about throughout the week. I guess just different tastes is all, but... I hope the show gets picked up for a second season. I really like Misha Green's way of storytelling. She also did Underground, which I think was one of the most powerful shows on TV. That Harriet Tubman episode where she just sat for an hour and told her story was one of the most powerful episodes of TV I've ever seen. I I just, Misha's brilliant. So I would love to see the show come back and I'm interested to see what twisted, elaborate, storyline she comes up with next. I noticed a theme in the next three topics. I'm not going to group them together though, because I think they're good individually. But the theme is people who have stopped giving a fuck. First up, Andrew Gillum is back. We've talked about him multiple times. He's the former mayor of Tallahassee. He also ran for governor in Florida. He lost by a very, very narrow margin. It may have been 1% or even less. Don't quote me on that. But he is better or perhaps more infamously known these days for an unfortunate evening he spent in a Miami hotel room with a male prostitute, a lot of drugs, but he said he didn't take those drugs and a lot of alcohol. He was photographed on the floor in a puddle of his own vomit. He kind of recently, maybe a month ago, did an interview with Tamron Hall, he and his wife, RJ. If you need the details on all of this, I've I've talked about this incident in depth for every bump in the road of it. But he did the Tamron interview and a lot of people were like, bruh, this incident happened earlier this year. Why are, you, why are you here? Why are you back? And we actually had an expert on the show who was like, oh, no, he's, he had to come back. He shouldn't have sat this out for a year, maybe after the election. That was a whole conversation, too. But he announced earlier this week that he is launching a new podcast. Some people felt great about it. Some people did not. I actually felt kind of good about it, sort of. He expressed that... The incident in the Miami hotel room was his rock bottom. And as someone who has also hit their rock bottom in a different way, you don't recover from that really in four to six months. You can learn all the things that you're supposed to do, 
But to actually be able to implement them when your triggers are pushed, it's a little more difficult. Theory versus application. From a mental health perspective, I would prefer he took a whole year off. But he's also a husband and a father of three. And he needs to provide. I don't know the Gillums personally. I had a couple DMs with his wife after the Tamron episode. But again, I told her I wasn't going to talk about that. So I did invite her to come onto the podcast if she felt like there was anything that she would like to get off her chest, which she declined. And I actually told her that I was like, you know what? Um, the journalist part of me obviously would want you to come speak. But the, the life coach woman to woman part of me is, is glad you said no. Get out of the public eye and go live your life and handle and handle your business. So professionally, I think this is a good look for him. Like he's got to do something. He's a young man. I don't know who would hire him right now. He's still radioactive, I think. But I will say, despite some of his poor judgment in his personal life, his intelligence was never in question. Before the hotel incident, people were wondering with enthusiasm what he was going to do next. He was seen as a smart man who is also ambitious, as opposed to an ambitious man who might be a little smart. The smart was never in question with him. So he's going to do this podcast. Let's see what the name of it is. Yeah, he announced it actually yesterday. I'm excited to announce my next chapter, Real Talk with Andrew Gillum. Real Talk is a new podcast where I'll tackle the real stories in politics, news, culture, health, and wellness, and more. I'd give it a whirl. I think those are all things that he's qualified to speak on, especially the politics and the news. Did he do commentary on CNN or MSNBC? I don't recall. Everything that happened before this year seems like a decade ago. Like, I'm just like, did that happen? But I think he'll do well in this lane. We were talking about it on my Facebook page and and another reader pointed it out too. And she was like, look, he might actually be okay. And she was like, living in your truth, setting yourself free does wonders for your mental health. And I also thought too, that this might be really good for him in the sense of being purposeful. When I'm not like standing on the brink, when I don't feel like I have something to do, when I'm idle for too long, I start doing stupid shit. Some people were not happy about the idea of this podcast. They pointed out that it takes a lot of audacity to be exposed in an incident in the way that Mr. Gillum was, and then to just hop yourself back out onto the national stage six months later. And then people be open to it. And they were like, I'm surprised you're open to it, Demetria, because you know a black woman would never be afforded this opportunity if a black woman had been caught in an incident like that. There's no way she would be able to pop back up. And I think that's true, to a degree. Actually, I'm testing that theory. We went from that conversation to talking about Jada Pinkett Smith. She's been pretty quiet since the Red Table Talk where she talked about her entanglement with August Alsina. But I follow Will Smith, and he posted a video with the whole family. I think they were honoring Robin Williams. I can't remember. But Jada was in the video, and the comments section was brutal. Will, you deserve better. Will, why are you with her? Will, she's terrible. Will, divorce her. And I was like, Jesus. And it's been a few months since that entanglement mess. And people are still hot about it. So we were talking about like if that would affect the ratings of Red Table Talk. I think she'll be okay, though. I feel like Red Table Talk is almost too big to fail. 
If Jada can push through the first couple of weeks of the negative commentary, I think it'll die down. I hope it does. I hate to see people overpay for their shortcomings. Like people make mistakes or, or they deliberately do dumb shit. But a lot of them are not things that they should have to pay with their livelihood for, you know? You know what I'm about to say because it's my favorite line from Franklin Saint's Mama on Snowfall. There is grace for those that seek it. So it seems Andrew Gillum is, is seeking some grace. He's trying to start a second act. So I wish him well. I also wish him smart. Because another thing about podcasts, whether you're doing interviews or you're doing essentially a monologue, which this would probably fall under, the things people say on podcasts could just get them in a world of hot water. If you recall, Nick Cannon got banned from Viacom, not just MTV, because of comments that he made during a podcast interview. Andrew Gillum is a smart man. Hope he remains smart while he's recording his podcast. I wish him the best. Shonda Rhimes ran out of fucks with Disney. We never really got the backstory on why Shonda left Disney. I don't know necessarily it was any of our business, but she left Disney and she went to Netflix. I think she got a $300 million deal with Netflix. Is that right? But Hollywood Reporter did a great story on Shonda Rhimes and Vulture picked up an interesting tidbit from the interview. So in a story headline, Shonda Rhimes left ABC for Netflix after a Disneyland ticket snub. I was like, what? (laughs) Shonda Rhimes had worked for ABC for 15 years. Not that you need me to remind you, but I will. But she had Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and How to Get Away with Murder. Three hit shows back to back on Thursday night. She was a quote and unquote cash cow for ABC. Those brands alone are rumored to have generated $2 billion American USD dollars and dineros. She was there for 15 years. She created all this content. She generated all this damn money. And in this article, she said that the pace and constraints of network television had become too stringent for her life. She said, quote, I felt like I was dying, quote, like I'd been pushing the same ball up the same hill in the exact same way for a really long time. Her breaking point didn't come when one of the ABC executives was determined to drive down her price tag during her contract negotiations. And again, I'm reading this from Vulture. Just like to give you my sources. Oh, pause. The other day, I was reading online that someone had recommended my podcast. And they were like, oh, it's a wonderful podcast. She talks about pop culture and politics and news and gossip. And I was like, gossip? I don't gossip on this podcast. I would like you to know, most of the salacious stuff that I talk about on here are coming from the Washington Post, the New York Times, LA Times, New York Magazine, CNN, MSNBC, respected news publications and outlets. Like that story about the the lady in the park who was dating a married man. She was his mistress and she gave him $65,000 to divorce his wife. And then he left her and went and took up with another woman that he's now married to. That story was from the New York Times, y'all. I don't want y'all out here being like, oh, Demetria is gossiping. Demetria is reading the news. Now back to Vulture. The contract negotiations were not when Shonda said, fuck this. Let me tell you when Shonda said, fuck this. Now, ABC is under Disney. 
2017, Sister Shonda asked for an additional all-inclusive pass to Disneyland, one of her perks of working at ABC. She wanted to give the all-inclusive pass to her visiting sister. After receiving some pushback, Rhymes got the pass, but it failed to work when her sister with her children and nanny arrived at the park. I'm quoting from Vulture. Rhymes proceeded to call a high-ranking executive at the company to figure out the issue, but he showed no interest in giving television's most prominent showrunner a $154 ticket to the park. This man, this executive, he said to Sister Shonda, don't you have enough? Shonda says she collected herself, hung up, and called her lawyer with a simple directive. She was going to move to Netflix and she'd, quote, find new representatives if that couldn't be accomplished. Rhymes did, in fact, move to Netflix and allegedly has a $300 million deal. The first of the shows is coming up soon. I think it's a historical drama. Did I read that right? Look, you got to stop playing with black people on general principle. Because that, that's really what this is. Shonda works at ABC. Shonda has generated $2 billion for ABC. She thinks that she is black and important at ABC because she is black and important at ABC. You got three hit shows back to back on Thursday night. You're black and important. All the woman wanted was an extra pass. That's all she wanted. The woman wanted one extra pass for her sister. And y'all couldn't do that for her. And let me tell you, Disney be giving passes away. I've been to Disney twice on Disney's dime. Had a great time both times. All excess passes, VIP passes, front of line passes. They give them away to influencers. But you won't give one to Shonda Rhimes? Come the fuck on. Ma'am said, fuck this. She knows her worth. She gathered her fabric. She wasn't wasting no more of her pretty with ABC and their shenanigans. Over a $154 ticket. It's the general goddamn principle. Could Shonda have paid $154 for a ticket? Absolutely. It's the fact that it's a perk of the job and some man, and I know he was white because that's just some real white shit to say. Don't you have enough? Who the fuck are you to tell me what I have enough of? If I had enough, would I be on the phone calling you asking for more? Clearly, I don't have enough. Once you got general principle involved, there's no other justification needed. For black people, GP, general principle, is a justification for anything in life that you need to do. It's the principality of the issue. Should have gave that woman a $154 ticket. Now your $2 billion brand has gathered her fabric and gone over to Netflix and they're going to pay her a whole lot of money and she's going to make them a whole lot of money. And if she asks for tickets to any goddamn thing, I know Netflix is going to give them to her. That's just stupid. But good for Shonda and her $300 million. That's wonderful. Good for her. You know who else is out of fucks? Our forever POTUS, the Barack Obama. He hit the campaign trail earlier tonight. He'll be on the campaign trail for the next two weeks because the election is two weeks away. It's his first speech in support of Biden's election. He held no cut cards. He talked about Trump. He dragged him like a dog. You know, Michelle's got that infamous quote, when they go low, we go high. Father Barack was like, fuck that. When they go low, we go low. You want to get in the dirt? Let's rumble, motherfucker. Because, ma'am. Sirs, that speech today, 
I cackled. Let me tell you some things that he talked about. At this point, I would like to refer to Dorian Corey from Paris is Burning. He was explaining what a read was. And he said, the best reads are when it's true. Barack talked about Trump's taxes. Barack talked about how he worked at Baskin Robbins as a 16-year-old. He paid more than $750 in taxes from work that summer. He talked about Trump and the coronavirus. He said, how he going to protect you when he couldn't protect himself? Facts. He talked about Trump's ratings. Remember Biden had that town hall and then Trump did a separate one-on-one at NBC. The ratings for that, despite his shenanigans, were abysmal. Biden blew him out the water. More than anything, it was Father Barack's tone. Because usually when he speaks, you know, he's very even. He's very calm. He's very logical. He's a level-headed man. He don't really get too rah-rah. He shouted that whole speech. Now I'm going to play some for you. Because you know the internet is undefeated. The internet went and put portions of the speech. You know what they did. They put it to ether. Remember earlier this year when Don Lemon went off on CNN? I don't want to call it a tirade. I don't want to call it a rant because what he was saying was real shit. Like he was speaking good truth. Don went off. He had unfortunate truths to share about Trump. And it was about, and it was about Barack Obama, wasn't it? He was like, why are you antagonizing this man? Like, he was like, is it because his wife looks better? Because she's more educated than yours? Because Barack Obama has the love and respect of the people and you don't? And they set that to ether. They also photoshopped the Knicks cap on, on Don. And then put a little pigeon in the corner so it looked like Nas's album cover. People on the internet got too much goddamn time. And I thank them for it because I am thoroughly amused by this. Here we go. They keep on promising we're going to have a great replacement. They said it's coming. It's been coming in two weeks for the last 10 years. Where is it? Where, Where is this great plan to replace Obamacare? They've had 10 years to do it. There is no plan. They've never had one. Instead, they've attacked the Affordable Care Act at every turn, driving up costs, driving up the uninsured. Now they're trying to dismantle your care in the Supreme Court in the middle of a pandemic with nothing but empty promises to take its place. We know that he continues to do business with China because he's got a secret Chinese bank account. How is that possible? How is that possible? A secret Chinese bank account. Listen, can you imagine if I had a secret Chinese bank account when I was running for re-election? You think you think my, you think Fox News might have been a little concerned about that? They would have called me Beijing Barry. Beijing Barry, do yourself a favor. Go to my Instagram or my Facebook at Demetria L. Lucas and watch the video. What he's saying is gully, but if you can see his hand motions, Barack is black, black. Like he'll be like, oh, he's mixed. He grew up in Hawaii. He spent a lot of time in Chicago. The hand motions, like he is fed the fuck up. It was great. It's so great. Oh my God, it's so great. I missed, I missed my president. He dragged that man for 30 minutes. And this is just the first of many speeches. I can't wait. I can't wait. I also want to see what Trump says in response because that was a dragon. I don't know if you can come back from that. Trump will try. He'll do something because he's always doing something. But yeah, 
Father Barack, and he looked good. I'm, I'm sorry, Mrs. Obama. I'm sorry. I mean, no disrespect. I'm just saying, like, I'm not blind. Like, he looked refreshed. He looked tan. Haircut was right. He got his gray. It's working for him. He had the open collar because, you know, ever since he's been out of office, he don't believe in ties no more. He looked great. It was great to see, like, a president again. Like, someone with good sense and, and logic and leadership and, like, who spit actual facts. You know how the news networks, like after there's a speech, like people be like, oh, you know, these facts were wrong. The CNN fact checkers were like, we, we cannot find any untruths. No, we can't. No, we can't. No, we can't. So that is today's episode. I'm glad we were able to end on a high note. Sometimes honesty is not fun, but honesty is necessary. That's that. Thank you for tuning in to Ratchet and Respectable. I may or may not be back next week. I'm good, but I'm trying to get to great. Survive is not enough for me. I need to thrive. So we will talk hopefully next week, but no promises made. I got to travel again next week too. I go away tomorrow. I'm here for a day and a half and then I'm out again for work. So a lot going on. Hopefully I'll be able to share with you soon enough. So if you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and the next episode, I'm really like trying to turn my brain off while I'm gone. I may not post at all. I'm not sure yet. I, um, I just need a break. I'm tired. <laughs> I know I've said that like a million times, but like, it's true. So yeah, I don't really know what to tell you to do in the meantime. Um, take care of yourselves and those around you. Ask people if they're okay. Those are my parting words for you this week. Signed copies of Don't Waste Your Pretty are available on DemetriaLLucas.com. Those copies are not going out until November 15th. USPS is really, really backed up right now. They are prioritizing the ballots for the election, as they should. I ordered boxes to ship books three weeks ago, and they still have not arrived. Before, it only took six days, and here we are into week three. So if you're waiting on a book, I will get them out ASAP. But if you order a book now, it's not going out until November 15th. That's, again, for signed copies of Don't Waste Your Pretty. That's DemetriaLLucas.com. All right. We will talk again at some point. Thank you for listening. Bye.